with me to John. The Gospel of John in chapter 12. Let me read in verses 12 through 19 of, uh, of John 12, and then we're going to read one verse from chapter 16. John 12, verse 12. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continually continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him, because they had heard that he had performed this sign. And so the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. And then if you will uh, turn to chapter 16 and verse 32. Where Jesus said to his disciples, Behold, an hour is coming, and is already come, for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. That is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask now for your blessing upon this time, together around your word. We pray that you would use it as the sword of the Spirit in our lives, you would speak to it, speak through it to us, and that you would use it to point us to Christ, our Savior, as we prepare to come to his table. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, as we've said several times, is Palm Sunday. It is the day that we observe and celebrate the event that John describes in the end of verse 12 as when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. We read earlier from Matthew's account of this event. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give much longer and much more detailed accounts of the life of, uh, or the uh, triumphal entry than this. Let me just go ahead and stop. There's a broken wire on this lapel mic, okay? We've been changing out batteries, and I realized this morning, that's not going to help. So if it gets too bad, I'll turn it off. Uh, but we'll see if we can uh, make it do here. I tried some uh, trusty scotch tape this morning, and <laughs> apparently my scotch tape uh, didn't work very well. So, uh, But Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us uh, much longer and uh, more detailed accounts of the triumphal entry than uh, does John. Uh, but John does make reference to some of the details uh, of that account. He refers, uh, for example, again in verse 12 to a large crowd. Uh, verse 13, he talks about the branches of the palm trees that uh, the people cut and waved in front of him. Uh, he mentions also that the people sang and shouted, Hosanna, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. You know, we sang earlier 
uh, that Palm Sunday hymn, All glory, laud, and honor to thee, Redeemer King, to whom the lips of children make sweet hosannas ring. And so with all that going on in the life of Jesus in this particular account and the accounts like it, you might find the title of my sermon this morning, which is The Loneliness of Jesus, to be a bit odd. You need to understand this apparent popularity of Jesus here in the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday was really something of a blip on the screen. You turn back with me to John chapter 6. You'll see uh, exactly what was taking place in Jesus' life. The end of John 6, verse 66 and verse 67. It says, as a result of this, and this, the, this there was Jesus' teaching. He had just given one of the most difficult teachings that he had delivered. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And so Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? It's really, I've said before, one of the saddest pictures in the Bible, especially in the Gospels. Where here Jesus had all these people, these vast crowds following him, all this interest shown in him. And yet gradually they all leave. And he's left with the twelve. Just the twelve. And he turns and says, what about you? Are you going to leave too? Well, then we come to Palm Sunday and to the triumphal entry. And we have these great crowds. And yet Jesus knew something that the disciples did not know. If you turn with me again over to John chapter 16. And we'll make several references to this one verse this morning. Where Jesus told the disciples... Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And so this morning I want to think of the contrast in Jesus' life. The contrast in particular between the event that is recorded for us in John 12 and Matthew 21 and also in Mark and Luke of the triumphal entry and all the attention that Jesus received then then also the time of his loneliness where even the people closest to him would literally leave him alone just two things this morning and first I want to consider the reality of his loneliness you know I've mentioned before that there are different kinds of loneliness there uh, is a loneliness that we experience because of physical separation, because we are separated from those we know and those we love, from our family and from our friends. I'm sure that uh, Britt and uh, Roger and Lee are all experiencing a kind of loneliness because they're away, away from their family, away from their friends, away from those who mean so much to them. I'm sure Craig experienced the same thing when he was deployed just a little while ago. All of us can identify with that and relate to that. But there's also a loneliness of heart or a loneliness of soul, a loneliness that comes to us 
just because of circumstances in our lives where we can be with a vast crowd of people and still feel very much alone and still be very lonely. And that's the kind of loneliness that Jesus experienced during these last days of his life on earth. Even though he was surrounded by these vast crowds of people, we think it could have been up to a million people who were there for the Passover. People were camped out along the road Jesus traveled. They were coming out of the city of Jerusalem to greet him. They were waving the palm branches before him, singing his praises, quoting Old Testament scripture, acknowledging him to be the one who came in the name of the Lord. Even through all that, Jesus still felt very much alone. You see, he realized that very few of those people really understood what they were saying. And fewer still meant what they were saying. He knew there was a kind of crowd hysteria going on. People were just caught up in the moment. And so he knew to understand what was taking place. Very few of them realized who he was or what he'd come to do. That's why Jesus stopped along the way. You know, as Jesus was making his way down the road, kind of a windy road, led down to Jerusalem, he, he, he came to a place where there was an overlook. Overlooking the city. And Jesus stopped. And as he looked over the city, he began to weep. And his weeping was in part because of his loneliness. Because he understood the confusion of the people. And that in just a few days, these very same people who were hailing him as the king of the Jews would be crying out to Pilate saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And he needed the beloved city of Jerusalem would reject the one God had sent to be the Redeemer. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus' popularity had already been dwindling. You know, the Pharisees rejected Jesus up front. It would have nothing to do with him. The other religious leaders were highly skeptical of him. Gradually, the, the people became disenchanted with him. The last few months of Jesus' life in the ministry were really spent just with the twelve, investing in them with an occasional step outside. And as we saw in John 16, 32, Jesus is, e even them, even the twelve, would come to the place where they too would leave him alone. And that's what we find in the events surrounding the circumcision, or the crucifixion of Christ. It's true that some of the most significant times in Jesus' life were alone. You might recall when he went to the wilderness to be tempted. Forty days he was there alone. You might recall when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He was there, for the most part, alone. Primarily because Peter, James, and God, John couldn't stay awake long enough to, to keep watch with him. When Jesus was on the cross in his most critical hour, he was there, for the most part, alone. Old Joseph of Arimathea was there. He stayed. 
to do something with his body to give him a decent burial, to ask for his body. John, the Apostle John, the one Jesus loved, he stayed. And of course, Jesus' mother, she stayed. But for the most part, in his greatest hour of trial, Jesus experienced abject loneliness. So Jesus' loneliness was real. But in the second place, I want you to consider this morning how Jesus' loneliness displayed his character. Isn't it true that our character is displayed the most when we're called upon to go through things alone? You know, it's one thing for me to do something when I have people with me, supporting me, encouraging me, but it's something else to have to stand for truth or for principle or for what is right when no one is willing to stand with you. You Do it alone. The strength of our character is shown when we must face situations essentially by ourselves. It shows the strength of our character. And that's the way it was with Jesus. He was undeterred having to face it alone. He didn't flinch from being deserted in hard times by those who had supported him in good times. You know, the most touching events in the life of Christ is found when Jesus was before Caiaphas, the high priest. You know, when Jesus is arrested, it's very interesting... Turn with me to Matthew 26 for just a moment. I would just tell you, but it's so helpful for you to see it yourselves. Matthew chapter 26. In verse 56. This is Jesus' arrest. The very end of the verse. This is right after his arrest. Then all the disciples left him and fled. The very thing Jesus said would happen in John 16, 32, did happen. After his arrest, the disciples left him and fled. He was taken first to Caiaphas, the high priest... And Caiaphas did his best to get Jesus accused and convicted of blasphemy, even bringing false accusers. Finally, he did convict him of that, and as a result, Jesus experienced extreme difficulty and abuse. They called him names. They spit in his face. They hit him with their fists. They slapped him with their open hands. All the while mocking him, making fun of him. While all that was happening, Peter was outside in the courtyard. You see, Peter had followed Jesus when he was taken to Caiaphas. But he was careful. Careful to stay far enough behind so that no one would suspect him of being with Jesus. 
And so while Jesus was being tried by Caiaphas, Peter was outside in the courtyard with all the other curious people, warming himself by the fire. Three times someone came to Peter, people who recognized him and said, weren't you with him? Aren't you one of his followers? Didn't I see you with Jesus? And all three times, Peter denied it. Even going so far as to say, I don't even know the man. And when Jesus was in the height of his abuse inside, he looked outside. And he saw Peter. And he knew that Peter had denied him because Jesus had told Peter that he would. And in this poignant moment where their eyes meet and the rooster crows and Peter breaks down in tears because he understood that he had done what Jesus said he would do and did what Jesus said all the disciples would do. He had left him alone. But in that moment of loneliness, Jesus did not shrink back from what his father had sent him to do. He pressed on, enduring whatever came his way, even though there was no one to support him. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 32. An hour is coming, has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet he said, I am not alone. Because the Father is with me. Jesus knew that even though everyone else might turn away, His Father never would. That even though the others might forsake Him, His Father would not. That even though the others might leave Him, the Father would never do it. That is, until He got to the cross. Because as while Jesus was on the cross, he experienced his most intense time of personal loneliness. For there, when Jesus was on the cross, even his Father left him. Even his Father forsook him. You know, we sang earlier how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. And then He goes on to say how deep the pain of searing loss. Why? His Father turned His face away. Think of it. God the Father turned His face away from God the Son, the one of whom He had said earlier, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And now the Father turns His face away from His Son. His Father left Him. And Jesus experienced the most intense degree of personal loneliness possible. And it was at that moment Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, 
Jesus had no one. No one to comfort him. No one and no thing to support him. Isaiah says he was despised and forsaken of men. And on the cross we see that he was forsaken as well by his father. If we're going to identify a time, a specific time when atonement was made, when Jesus atoned for your sins and mine, it would be at that specific moment when God the Father turned away from God the Son. When He was completely forsaken. Whatever hell is, Jesus experienced it there. Whatever hell else hell might be. It is knowing that you are completely forsaken by God because of your sin. That you are removed from His grace. That you are without hope. And that's what Jesus experienced momentarily on the cross. When His Father forsook Him. And the Father turned His face from Him. This table reminds us of many things. In fact, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He reminds us of his love. He reminds us of his sacrifice. He reminds us of his substitutionary death. He reminds us of his suffering and his sorrow. But this morning I want you to remember how this table shows us his loneliness. How Jesus was forsaken by men and by God to bear the full penalty for your sin and mine. The wonder of it is that he was forsaken by his Father that you and I might have fellowship with his Father. The song goes on to say, the wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Aren't you thankful Jesus was willing to go it alone? Aren't you thankful Jesus was willing to go where no one else could go? To bear and endure what no one else could take so that you might have eternal life. Yes, it's because of what Christ did that he was willing to be forsaken by God and forsaken by men that we can have fellowship with God and fellowship with man. Later today, we're going to have a fellowship meal. But don't you say our fellowship is not based upon anything in this life, nothing human-centered. Our fellowship is centered in our mutual love for Jesus and the fact that we have a common faith in Him. That's what draws these two guys to us. That's why we've had such sweet fellowship with them. It's because of Christ and because of who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. But before we get to that fellowship with each other, we're going to have fellowship with the triune God, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
We're going to commune with him through the elements that are on this table. And we're going to have fellowship with God the Father who loves us because Jesus is willing to experience complete forsakenness from His Father. We can experience this and we can experience this. All because Jesus was willing to go it alone for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. There are so many things we don't understand. So many things we just embrace by faith. And we thank you for grace given to us through Jesus. And the fact that he died in our place that we might be adopted as your children. He suffered the penalty for our sin that our sin might be forgiven. We thank you that he was willing to be alone. That we might have fellowship with you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is our custom, where we find the words of institution for the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, the cup, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must first examine himself, and in so doing is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. Coming to the Lord's table is a high privilege this is the Lord's table. We call it the Lord's table because it is a gift that He gave to us. We call it a communion table. Because as we come to this table, we commune with God in a special way. It is a sacramental table. It's a sacrament. A means of grace by which... God, through His Son and the Holy Spirit, ministers to our hearts, speaks to us, feeds us as we partake of these physical elements. He deals with us in a spiritual way, ministering 
His grace to us uniquely through what is on this table. This is the sinner's table. Jesus died for sinners. His body and His blood were given for people like you and people like me. You know, sometimes people don't like being called a wretch. Folks, we could be called worse. And yet God sent His Son to save a wretch like me. And a wretch like you. And it's my privilege, it's my opportunity to invite you to participate, to share with us in the Lord's Supper. We have an open table for anyone who trusts in Christ alone for salvation, who is uh, in good standing with the church, who's publicly professed Him before men. This table is for you. It's my privilege. But it's also my responsibility to caution you and to warn you that even though this table is for sinners, it's not for unrepentant sinners. If you're holding on to a sin in your life and you're unwilling to let that sin go, it would be best for you to let the elements pass you by until you're willing to deal with that sin, to repent of it, and yield to Christ in His grace instead of it. We leave that to your hands. It's between you and the Lord. But the Bible is clear. Let a man examine himself. Let him be careful. It's a privilege, but also is a tremendous responsibility. But you're invited to come. It's a joyous thing to come to the Lord's table. We're going to sing.